Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Rabo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Sammy Lightfoot. How many hours do you think it took to port this game from the Apple II to the Commodore 64? Listen to this show to find out the answer to that question. But before I get started talking about Sammy Lightfoot, let's get to the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy Headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. As a reminder, as a uh, companion piece to this podcast, I also release a video each week, and that is called Sprite Castle Plays. And on this week's video, I spent some time playing Sammy Lightfoot. So if you want to check out that video, go over to youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming and look for the Sprite Castle playlist. You'll find the video for this week's game. Last week, I played Little Computer People. It was an off week for Sprite Castle podcast, but it was uh, I did Little Computer People a long time ago on Sprite Castle, and I thought it would be fun to play that on video. And uh, When I fired it up, unfortunately, my little computer person had not been taken very well care of. In fact, he was green and frowning and not doing well, so I had to get him some water and some food and pet him and call him a few times and uh, nurse him back to health. So you can see all that happen on last week's exciting episode of Sprite Castle Plays. Uh, there were a few new Commodore 64 games that I found since the last episode. One is a new text adventure called Survival Messenger Adventure. And if you've listened to the show over the years, you know that I am a fan of text adventures and definitely new text adventures uh, I guess the the proper term now is interactive fiction, but old habits die hard. But uh, whatever you call them, I enjoy playing them, and I especially enjoy playing new ones released for the Commodore 64. So Survival Messenger Adventure has, it comes uh, with pictures and sound, and uh, I haven't had a chance to dig into it yet. I just found it earlier this evening, so I'm looking forward to giving that a spin and maybe uh, might do a review or a mini review of that on a future episode of Sprite Castle. I also saw that there was a full release of Granny's Teeth. Uh, not my grandmother's teeth, but uh, the game Granny's Teeth, which was part of, I believe, the craptastic game uh, compo that was uh, a couple of... I think this game has been out for a little while, but this is a full edition of Granny's Teeth. You have to take control of Grandma and help her find her false teeth, which someone has hidden in the fishbowl in her house. So it looks like a, a fun little game. I watched uh, some YouTube video of it earlier today. And, uh, you know, anytime there's a, a fun little platform game like that, I'm always in. I, I love, it's one of the things that the Commodore does best is uh, short platform type games that you could sit down and play for a few minutes. In fact, Sammy Lightfoot is one of those games. So I'm looking forward to trying out Granny's Teeth. I also ran across a game called Brain Bricks, which is a puzzle-type game. It looks like you have to recreate puzzles after uh, they're shown to you. And uh, I will put links to all of these games, all these uh, this week's, all the games that I mentioned this week were all free games, so I will add links to those on the uh, Sprite Castle podcast page. So you can always go to the show notes over at podcast.roboherra.com 
and follow the links and download these games and try them for yourself on your own Commodore 64. I watched a YouTube video earlier this week that was published by RetroBits, and it was out uh, about Plasti Dipping, a Commodore 64. Now, if you're not familiar with Plasti Dip, then you probably don't have a teenager. <laughs> uh, Plasti Dip is a type of paint. You can get it either in uh, a mixture where you would... Uh, uh, Use it with like a spray, you know, an air compressor paint system, or you can actually find Plasti Dip in spray paint cans. But what Plasti Dip is, is it is literally a latex slash thin layer of plastic, I suppose, uh, that can be spray painted on and then later peeled off. And I actually saw it for the first time. A friend of mine had a, was customizing his Jeep and had painted some stripes on the hood of his Jeep, and had also painted his rims uh, with Plasti Dip, and they it looked really good, and it was just starting to peel. I think it had been on for two or three years, and of course, subject to the weather, and he showed me where he just started on a corner, started picking at it, and just peeled the the paint right off his car. I mean, the stripes, it was really amazing to me. And so this uh, video from RetroBits, they demonstrate play, uh, painting a Commodore 64 with Plasti Dip, they use a um, uh, a really dark color. It's a, a, a black and then a, a dark blue, and so it's a really pretty color. And, of course, uh, you don't need to tape off things like the badges because once you're done uh, and it's dried, you can just use an X-Acto knife, trace around it, and, and peel it right off the badges. And so that's what they did. And uh, anyway, you know, there's, it's always controversial about uh, whether or not you should customize your uh, computers. I'm always, I personally believe that you can do whatever you want to do. If you are the type of person that wants to restore uh, old computers and try to make them look uh, brand new, that's fine with me. If you want to customize them and paint them, you know, they're your machines. That's fine with me too. I'm, uh, I, I, for a long time when I was a member of the uh, arcade collecting community, when I had, uh, arcade cabinets uh you know i've owned over a hundred arcade cabinets but i think the most i ever owned at one time was around 30 but uh it was very common for people to tell me how i should enjoy my hobby <laughs> uh you know how i should restore a cabinet or what i should do and and different things like that and i always kind of uh I was going to say secretly, but I don't think it was that secret. But I always took a little bit of offense to that. You know, I don't think other people should tell you how you should enjoy your hobby. So whatever you want to do with your old computers, um, I, I do think that the numbers of them are drying up. You know, I think a lot of old computers have uh, unfortunately been thrown away or, or squirreled away. And, um, you know, obviously the availability is less, which it's reflected in the price. Obviously the prices have gone up as uh, the older they get, but I think the plastic dip is probably a nice compromise because you can, uh, customize the computer. You can paint it a, a crazy color or whatever. And then, but you haven't done any permanent modifications to the computer and, and in a, year or so if you get tired of it you can just peel it right off and uh and it looks just like it did before you painted it so it's a pretty interesting concept and i don't know that i will uh uh try it on anything but uh i don't know i might i have to see if i have any um victims uh, i mean projects 
that that needs some uh, paint jobs. So I also saw an interesting piece of hardware, the SimCom 64. Uh, this is a device that allows you to uh, make and answer calls from your Commodore 64. You can send and receive texts. Obviously, you have to have a SIM card for the device. You can uh, even send email. And so the uh, creator of uh, this new device put all the instructions and, and wrote a little article about it. So again, I will put a link to that in the show notes. But I thought that was pretty cool. Anytime that a old computer can connect to Modern systems, I find that to be pretty cool, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, wired over Ethernet, like FTPing to the uh, Ultimate 64, or if it's using a wireless modem, Wi-Fi to connect to the Internet, or in, in this case, you know, using cellular. So um, I always think that's pretty cool, and so I'm going to uh, look a little bit more into this project and see just what it would take to uh, actually build one of these devices. And finally, I know that I mentioned these games before, but there's been uh, even more updates since the last episode. It uh, looks like work is proceeding on the Empire Strikes Back game that is being made. Again, this is not the old vector Empire Strikes Back, which basically used the same engine as uh, Atari Star Wars. But this is the Atari 2600 version of the Empire Strikes Back, which is being ported to the Commodore 64. And the graphics and animation on this thing just look amazing. I just I just can't get over how great it looks. And I mean, what a fun combination for me personally. I had the uh, Empire Strikes Back for the Atari 2600 when I was a kid. I love Star Wars. I specifically love the Empire Strikes Back. And of course, I love the Commodore 64 and I love free new games. So, I mean, there's <laughs> literally nothing on this checklist that is not for me. So I'm very excited about that. I also saw some more updates about the new release of Out of This World, the port, or Another World, depending on, uh, I believe, what continent you're on. You uh, would know it from one of those two names. It was a groundbreaking game that I guess used um, Polygon graphics for its animation. There's some question as to what we've been seeing. Is it actual gameplay? Is it something from the... Uh, the game's engine, or is it just basically captured video from the original that is running on a Commodore 64, which again is still impressive for a machine that really can't do natively polygon graphics. So uh, it would, it's interesting, you know, it would be interesting from a, just from a um, technical standpoint that it's, it's playing the video, but I'm not sure that we're actually seeing the game's engine. I think we may just be seeing, I don't know. I'm kind of confused on it actually. So if you know more about it than I do, be sure and uh, drop me a line, but uh, I would love to see that game ported to the Commodore 64, but it seems like, you know, there were um, like when Prince of Persia uh, was ported, you know, you had to use the Ram expander. You had to use, uh, I believe originally it was a cart release. Uh, you know, it's really pushing the, the storage, and the graphic capabilities of the Commodore 64. So I'm not sure what type of system you would need or enhancements to run um, another world on a Commodore 64. So it, it, it'll be interesting. I would like to see it, but uh, uh, I don't know. I'll just, like everybody else, I'll just, I, I, nobody gives me inside information. I get information just like everybody else by checking websites and Reddit and, and uh, RSS feeds. So uh, if you ever want to give me inside information... <laughs> Feel free to contact me. Give me the scoop on stuff. 
Um, but anyway, yes, I did play uh, Sammy Lightfoot. Uh, Sammy Lightfoot is a circus performer. And let me tell you the, the uh, most amazing thing. As I was getting ready to play, a clown car pulled up right in front of my house and people just started piling out of the clown car. People like Stephen Burt and Mike McLaughlin, Gary Heather, Darren Folds, Trond Ryder, Bo, and Christopher, Armin and Restall, Olive Hope, David Hearn, John Schaller, Eric Strineasy, Matt Nicholson, Dave Zilly, Steve Rasmussen. I mean, these people just kept piling out of the car. People like Patrick Markey, Chris Folds, Garrett Allier, Graham Wobke, Rick Reynolds, Scott Lambert, John Morrison, Jake Nonamaker, and behind the driver's seat, the mysterious Cobra Kai. Obviously, a clown car did not really Pull up in front of my house. This is my Patreon bit crew. Now, other people may have a pit crew that helps them out, but I have a bit crew, and uh, this podcast is made possible by my bit crew. So if you want to check out the all the extra stuff that you can get, which is basically nothing. <laughs> what a terrible plug I just made for myself. No, there's all kinds of behind-the-scenes blog posts and uh, links to videos for my 16-bit supporters, and you'll definitely get a personal thank you from me. All this fun stuff, if you want to be a part of my podcast, Bit Crew, go over to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara to find out more. If I've had people say, Man, I'd love your show. I love your, you know, I would love to support your show. I'm really strapped right now. I can't support it. Like they apologize. You don't need to apologize. I just the fact that you're listening, that you have my show, that you're allowing me to take up part of your day is an honor for me. If you do want to find a way to support me and there are ways to support me that aren't, uh, that don't involve money, uh, the biggest things you could do is share the word about the podcast. You know, you can go on uh, social media, Facebook, or uh, I, I think Facebook, if you're old, like me, <laughs> Twitter, if you're a little bit younger, I don't uh, really do. I'm on Instagram, but I really don't use Instagram. But, you know, however you could get the word out for the show, if you want to share the link to the show, that is a huge help to me. Also, I've had people tell me I need to tell other people to like my shows on iTunes. I don't think I've even liked my shows on iTunes. Uh, I don't even use iTunes. I get all my podcasts through a, uh, a different podcatcher. But uh, if you're on iTunes and you want to leave me a review or something, I, that, uh, I know that helps in the rankings. So that's another way that you can help. So uh, those, those two things are also uh, uh, greatly appreciated. And finally, as always, uh, if you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any episode of Sprite Castle, you can always email me at robohara at robohara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodore. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Or catch me hanging out on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server. You can also call and leave me a voicemail on the Flack Podcast hotline I almost forgot at 405-486-YDKF. And I got, uh, I, I over the, in the past, I have got voicemails and I listen to them and I it's difficult because I can't. I don't, most people don't leave their email address, so I don't have a way to respond. The only way I could respond would be um, to call them or text them back, which I think would be super creepy. <laughs> I would not do that to you. Um, but I did get a voicemail, uh, and I wanted to play that real quick. Hey, Rob. This is Ryan Cease again here in the 405 down in Norman. Hey, just wanted to li let you know that I listened to your latest uh, Sprite Castle episode, Bounces. Uh, I'm always really stunned about uh, just really how 
deep the uh, C64 game library is. Um, I really don't have a background in uh, computing that much outside of, you know, growing up with a PC when I was like, you know, 13, 14. But, uh, man, uh, definitely uh, I look forward to exploring the C64 library when, if I get a chance to. Um Anyway, just keep up the great work. Really enjoy uh, looking at all these different kinds of games uh, that you have on there as they, uh, man, the C64, just what a machine. What can you say? Um, apart from that, hope everything's going well with you. Take care and uh, keep up the great work. Bye-bye. Well, Ryan, thank you for the voicemail. Thank you for listening to the show. Uh, by the way, when he uh, says that uh, he's in 405, that is my area code. He he lives not uh, too terribly far from me. I agree that the Commodore is an amazing machine and also that it has an amazing library. You know, I have said before, if something happened tomorrow and game development stopped and there were no more uh, free games, I mean, not free games, no more games being made in the world. Like, I have enough games right here on my hard drive that I could play games for the rest of my life and I could probably just play Commodore 64 games for the rest of my life and be totally happy. Uh, the Commodore library, I believe CSDB, the uh, uh, Commodore Scene Database or Game Base 64, one of the two, I think they have more than 20,000, not just titles, I'm not talking utilities and stuff, 20,000 games for the Commodore 64. It just has an unbelievably large library and um this show won't be over until i do them all <laughs> which every other week i <laughs> i'm gonna have to live forty thousand weeks so do the math on that doesn't seem possible so i'll just try to do the good ones we'll start at the best we'll work our way down and uh somebody uh may have to take over for me someday but uh uh yeah it, the commodore 64 has a, a wonderful library and honestly uh, I mean, I, I, I don't play a lot of new games, but uh, and the new games I play tend to be older style games, like new platform games and things like that. But uh, I could play Commodore 64 games for the rest of my life and uh, just be happy. Anyway, those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paper boy who just got run over by a lawnmower. I knew that would happen. Now that I've covered this week's news... Let's cover this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. Well, you know, Sammy Lightfoot is a circus performer, and so there are certain foods that I think about that I associate with the circus. Of course, there's popcorn, and uh, uh, peanuts and popcorn, I think, are... Uh, uh, popular circus things, but we just got about six months ago, a new bargain outlet. And this place is literally like five minutes from my house and it's called Ollie's. Now I had never heard of Ollie's before. It's called Ollie's bargain, uh, outlet, but there are, when I looked on Wikipedia, it says there are Ollie's in 25 of the 50 States. So I think, uh, Oklahoma may be late, to the Ollie's uh, party. So I had never, again, I'd never heard of Ollie's, but I went in there. I told my wife after I went the first time, I said, this is, um, it reminded me of like, I don't know. It, it's, it's hard to explain because I think mostly they get overstock, uh, or, or they buy out, uh, things, you know, 
like stores that have liquidated. So, for example, when I went into Ollie's, they had um, these little portable heaters. And I thought, oh, that might be kind of interesting. You know, put one out there in my garage. It's a little small thing. And I did end up buying it. And it it works really good as long as you're three inches away from it. (laughs) Four inches, no good. (laughs) But three inches, it's great. Uh, but when I saw it, I thought, ah, it's a little small. Uh, I, you know, I, I wish I could find one that was a little larger maybe. And I looked around, they had 200 of this specific model and then they didn't have any other models. So it was just like this model or nothing. And they had literally pallets stacked up of this. Uh, they had in the electronics section, they had a lot of things from sharper image, so I think when Sharper Image uh, closes out different items, or well, actually when they closed out, it looks like Ollie's may have bought a lot of their stock. Also in the toy aisle, I always go up and down the toy aisle, and um, Ollie's has a pretty good collection of toys. They have a lot of Star Wars stuff, but they also had several action figures of Jeffrey the Giraffe from Toys R Us, which we all know the sad story that Toys R Us went out of business. So that was my impression of Ollie's was that it was, you know, they have bought uh, inventory from places that have gone out of business or close out items and things like that. So if you're looking for a specific item, it might not be the best place to shop. But if you're, you know, you're just wandering and you go, oh, I, w- I need a heater and I don't exactly care what it looks like or what model or whatever, then I think it's a, a pretty good place and, and they seem to have some pretty good deals. But as you go to check out, they have a huge area of candy and snacks and things like that. And right up front, they have these like little containers of, I won't say little, they have these round plastic containers of circus peanuts. And when I saw it, I was like, I haven't seen circus peanuts in forever. Like when I was a kid, it seems like I always had those. And uh, I guess they just, I don't know, kind of fell out of popularity or whatever. Now, when I looked on Wikipedia, it said circus peanuts were mostly an American treat. So if you are not here in the U.S., there's a possibility that you have never seen circus peanuts. Now, what circus peanuts are, uh, obviously, again, when you would go to the real circus when I was a kid, they would have little bags of popcorn or little bags of hot peanuts. Well, circus peanuts aren't real peanuts. They're essentially marshmallows uh, that are shaped to look like oversized peanuts. Uh, most often I think they are colored orange, although I read online that sometimes they come in other colors, but I've only seen them in, uh, and it's a real kind of almost a peach color. It's a real light orange color and they're shaped like a peanut and they're made of marshmallow. And for some reason they're usually flavored banana. Now I don't, I mean, that seems weird to me. You, I guess, well, I guess you don't want a peanut. You, you could have a peanut butter flavored marshmallow. That actually sounds pretty good, but yeah, I don't know why they're banana flavored. But uh, anyway, I saw that container. Sammy Lightfoot is a game that I've been, uh, it's one that I covered way, way, way back before I did Sprite Castle the way I do it now. When I very first started, I did a a video thing and they're they're not even, uh, I don't think the videos are online anymore, but uh, so I've always wanted to come back and do a full audio podcast version of Sammy Lightfoot. And so when I saw those circus peanuts, I go, you know what? I'm going to get those. And then I'm going to do Sammy Lightfoot. And um, let me tell you, number one, those things are a lot sweeter than I remember them being. I mean, I remember as a kid getting these, you know, you'd get a little 
plastic container of them, you know, and uh, I don't know how many would be in there, 10 or 15 or something, and I would just yum, 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 eat them. Uh, now, after about three, I was like, ah, I don't know that I want any more of these. And fortunately, this big round container has about 50. So I have circus. I'm going to be doing only circus episodes for the next eight months <laughs> so that I can get rid of all these peanuts and uh, just eat uh, circus peanuts while I'm podcasting. But um, uh, so if you ever run across uh, circus peanuts, maybe you see them in the store or something like that. And uh, you want something to go along with uh, this circus-themed game, then you might pick up some circus peanuts. Sammy Lightfoot was published for the Commodore 64 in 1983 by Sierra Online. It is a game for one or two players that uses joystick controls. Now, I won't go too deep into the history of Sierra Online because this is the second appearance of Sierra Online on the Sprite Castle podcast. The first appearance was on the previous episode when I covered BC's Quest for Tires. Sierra Online started out as Online Systems. That was their first name. Then they changed to Sierra Online in 1982. And they also used the name Sierra Vision to release their arcade-style games. And while I was researching this episode, uh, you know what, I will throw this link into the show notes as well. I found a great website, a great resource called sierragamers.com, and they have an entire uh, subpage called Sierra Vision, which has a list of all the Sierra Vision titles and and, uh, bits of trivia about them. But a quick recap, if you are not aware that Sierra was founded by Ken and Roberta Williams, a husband and wife. Uh, Roberta wrote... The first uh, adventure, the high-res adventure, number one, called Mystery House, which is considered to be the first graphical text adventure. So she wrote the story, and then her husband, Ken, programmed it in. So that was really how Sierra got started. Uh, Sierra is known for lots of different games, uh, just some of the ones I looked through, and they published... Uh, some of the early Ultima games, they published Oil's Well, they had lots of arcade clones, and they were really focused on uh, Apple II. Most of their products were Apple II games. Uh, and then in 1984, they released a little game uh, designed by Roberta Williams called King's Quest. And so a lot of people associate Sierra primarily with King's Quest and all their other uh, Quest series of games. There was Space Quest and Police Quest and Heroes Quest, which is also Quest for Glory. Uh, Sierra also did Leisure Suit Larry and lots and lots and lots of great games. I mean, you can't go wrong. I don't know that Sierra has any bad games off the top of my head. So, uh, But anyway, so this is a uh, Sierra Online and actually it is a Sierra Vision release. Uh, The Apple II version of Sammy Lightfoot, which was the original version, was written by a young man named Warren Schwader. Schwader? Schwader? I think it's Schwader. Uh, His first game was uh, uh, Threshold, I believe, is one of his uh, most popular games, which is a... He describes it as a Astro Blaster clone. It is... Kind of looks like Phoenix in a way. It got really, really good reviews. It used some uh, graphic and animation tricks on the Apple II that a lot of games... Uh, weren't using. And uh, Warren's drive behind programming was he wanted to push the Apple. 
He wanted to do uh, things that other people weren't doing, uh, you know, in his programs. And he was uh, started off writing games for Sierra, and then he became a freelance programmer. And he was freelance programming when uh, he calls the uh, game crash happened, and so he said that he lived on. Uh, uh, residuals from some of his earlier games for a couple of years, uh, Threshold and uh, Sammy Lightfoot, and then uh, went on to, to uh, find other work. But he did, in later years, return to Sierra, and he did the Hoyle card games. You may remember those. And he also did Jones and the Fast Lane, which was very popular. I think that may have been, uh, I want to say the first, but if not a very early CD-ROM title for, for uh, Sierra. I think it may have been Sierra's first uh, CD-ROM title, but, uh, so anyway, uh, good programmer, good guy. Um, he did, I read a, a short interview with him and he said that he actually worked on a sequel to Sammy Lightfoot, but unfortunately due to the crash, um, you just couldn't, uh, sell Apple II games anymore. The title screen also mentions, uh, it says programmer D. Crehan, uh, which I looked up and is, uh, the D stands for Dean, Dean Crehan. Uh, on Moby Games, he is credited for one title, and it's this, and it says his uh, credits include converting this game from the Apple II to the Commodore 64, and we'll find out a little bit more about how he did that later on in the show. I searched for more games that were written by uh, Dean Crean, and I didn't find any, but I did find his LinkedIn account, and I can tell you why he stopped uh, working on games. It says that he was... Uh, Hired by Lockheed Martin as a staff software engineer, and he worked for Lockheed Martin from 1985 until February of 2018. That is a duration of 32 and a half years, and he is uh, now retired. So he basically graduated from, I guess, porting games. The The interview that I read with him had such um, advanced techniques that he was using. So I can't imagine this is the only game that he ever ported, but it's the only one I could find. So anyway, uh, he, he did a great job porting the Apple II version of Sammy Lightfoot over to the Commodore 64. Ladies and gentlemen, let me direct your attention to our center ring. In a few moments high above your heads, you will see a performance that will chill and thrill you see that great trapeze artist, Sammy Lightfoot, do things you wouldn't have thought possible. Sammy will leap huge circus balls and fly through the air over scorching flames. With incredible balance and agility, he will dodge lethal plungers to cross huge chasms. Finally, to amaze and delight you, Sammy will swing on a trick rope, challenge the man-eating pumpkin, and soar on a flying carpet. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let me present to you that death-defying daredevil, Sammy Lightfoot! So Sammy Lightfoot is a platform game that contains three screens and eight difficulty levels. And the goal of each screen is to reach a platform that is usually located at the top of the screen. And you control Sammy Lightfoot. He is a circus performer with a little pot belly, and he is known for his large pompadour hairdo. In reviews of the time, Sammy Lightfoot was most compared to Donkey Kong, it is a single-screen platform game, and some of the levels, like the first level, have 
circus balls that roll down and you have to jump over that are not quite unlike barrels in Donkey Kong. So there is a case for comparing this to Donkey Kong, but it's a very different game. And I think if you were to describe it now, you would say it was a, a single screen platform game. I don't think you would necessarily compare it uh, directly to Donkey Kong. The front of the box has uh, a really cool uh, artwork, uh, like a lot of games uh, from this uh, time. You have Sammy Lightfoot, the logo, and the L on Lightfoot is a big lightning bolt. Uh, you have a picture of Sammy with his big pompadour hairdo. He is bouncing off of a trampoline and leaping up in the air, about to grab a trapeze bar. Uh, there is also a man-eating pumpkin. Now, I I looked at the documentation. I looked online. Everywhere it keeps referring to these as man-eating pumpkins. I thought once you carved a face in a pumpkin, it became a jack-o'-lantern. And this definitely has uh, a mouth carved into it, and he's wearing sunglasses. Now, you can't see through the sunglasses, so I can't guarantee that there are eyes carved into it. But if there are not eyes... It would be odd to put sunglasses on, I'm just saying. Uh, but we're going to go with the documentation. We're going to call it a man-eating pumpkin. Uh, we also see the big circus ball that he's about to leap over. And then, of course, underneath him, there are flames which appear in some of the levels. Uh, I thought it was interesting that the manual gives instructions for both starting the game on cartridge and for floppy disk. Now, I honestly did not know there was a cartridge version of this uh Produced. I've only seen this on floppy disk, but the game was uh, released on cartridge as well. Again, I will talk a little bit more about how the game was ported over later on and some of the limitations uh, that were made because it was uh, on a cartridge. Once the game starts, we have a title screen that says Warren Swader's Sammy Lightfoot. There is a girder that goes all the way across the screen. Uh, we see Sammy underneath that. And then uh, it has, again, Sammy Lightfoot. And in the top of the Y, there's a trampoline. And so that is what uh, Sammy seems to be jumping off of. The bottom left has a Sierra Online logo, copyright 1983. And the bottom right are the letters ICG and then D. Crean, which again, uh, we know that that stands for Dean Crean. I don't know what ICG stands for, so I don't know if that was a, his personal company that uh, ported games. I don't really know. I did not find, uh, I couldn't find any reference to uh, ICG. Now, this screen only stays up for about 10 seconds. If you press a button, it will bypass it, or if you wait, it will only stay there for about 10 seconds and then go into a demo of the game playing itself. Once you hit a button on the joystick, it will pop into the menu screen. The menu, there's uh, five or six options. There's a uh, player one and player two, and you can pick what level, difficulty level you start on. By default, it's zero, and the settings are zero through seven. You can turn the sound on and off. You can turn the, which by the way, is kind of weird because I don't think I ever saw a Commodore monitor that didn't have a volume knob. So maybe that's a leftover thing from the uh, Apple or different version. I don't know. But uh, but yeah, you can turn the sound on and off. Uh, you can also turn the scene tunes on and off. It plays a, a little musical tune at the beginning of each level. And if you get annoyed with those, you can turn those off. Uh, and then you can select if you want to play one or two players. 
it should be noted that the default is always two players. So you always have to change it from two back to one. And if you don't, you will find yourself playing a, a two-player game by yourself. And a two-player game is just alternating. And it they both use the joystick in port one. So you won't have to swap back and forth or use two joysticks for uh, two players. Speaking of joysticks, the controls in this game are pretty simple. Left and right move Sammy left and right and the button jumps, and then you have to hold down the button for a couple of things. If you're on the trampoline and you hold down the button, you will bounce higher and higher, and that's how you can gain access to higher levels. Uh, And also when you're swinging on the rope, you need to hold the button down to hang on the rope, and then you let go of the button when you want Sammy to release the rope. The game consists of three levels. Uh, On level one, you need to bounce on trampolines to go up levels, You have to jump across some chasms, swing across a couple of ropes until you finally reach the end platform while avoiding the giant circus balls. Now, as the game gets harder and you go up in levels, everything just gets faster. There are more circus balls. Um, The rope swings a little faster, but but the level itself never changes. Uh, On level two, you have to jump across uh, multiple platforms that uh, some of them appear and disappear. You'll have to watch what that pattern is. You'll have to jump back across the screen on staggered floating boxes and then eventually walk on a magic carpet to reach the end platform. The third level involves, uh, first of all, going from left to right and dodging a bullet that's (laughs) slowly flying around in a pattern. You'll have to go underneath plungers that are coming down from the ceiling, uh, and then you'll have to get to the top and swing between two ropes before finally landing on the final platform. And again, all these levels, once you've uh, beat all three levels, the game just repeats and moves up in difficulty. Uh, Like any uh, platform game from this era, anything that you touch kills you. And when uh, Sammy dies, it plays this little tune and his hair spins around on his head, which is a very strange thing to happen when you die to just have your hair spin around. But I was thinking about this as I was playing. I never really thought about this before, but you know, when Mario dies, he would spin in a circle, you know? So I think this is kind of their play on that. So instead of Sammy spinning around in a circle, he just stays stationary and his hair spins around on top of his head. Um, The levels on the Commodore 64 version look very plain, but they look a lot like the Apple II version. And most Apple II games at this time had black backgrounds with white or um, single color uh, platforms for you to, to uh, for the game to take place on. And so this looks exactly like an Apple II game, basically. I mean, it is sprites, so the animation is a little better than the Apple II version. And the sound is slightly better than the Apple II version, but it's a, a fairly... Faithful recreation of the Apple II version of Sammy Lightfoot. Now, nothing in the game that you do, jumping over things or swinging on ropes, gets you points. Uh, Each level has a bonus counter that just starts counting down from 10,000. So in the manual, under score, there's one line. It says, the quicker you finish each screen, the higher your score will be. So that's how the score works is you have to beat each level and whatever the bonus time that's remaining, that's what you get. And then you go to the next level. And so, uh, uh, you know, getting a high score basically involves number one, how quickly 
can you beat each level? And then number two, how many uh, screens and levels can you beat? The high score that I found on Retro Computer and Console Scores Archives was a score of 44,780. Every level starts with a bonus of 10,000. So uh, now obviously it counts down quickly, but by beating one, I mean, when I beat the first level, I think my score was 6,000. So, I mean, this score is basically beating seven levels. Like this doesn't seem like a very high score to me. Um, uh, I, I think with a, a little, a weekend of playing, I think most people would, should be able to beat this score. I don't think this is a very high score, but maybe just not a lot of people have, uh, <laughs> played Sammy Lightfoot. I, maybe it's not a big competition game. So I want to get into the trivia that I talked about, about Sammy Lightfoot. Uh, I was searching for the, uh, gentleman's name that ported the game, the Dean Crean. And I found a link on Lemon64. It was a review of Sammy Lightfoot written by Dean Crean. He wrote a review for his own game, and it's published on Lemon64. And so the, the review is not very long. I mean, it's one to five paragraphs here. So I'm just going to read you uh, the review. History of this game. Again, this is written by Dean Crean. I programmed this game back in 1983. The way games were written for multiple machines back then was for one person to write it on one machine, and at the same time, others would get interim copies of the game, play them on the native machine, and then write a program on a different machine emulating as best you could the essence of the game. For this game, Warren Schwader would periodically send a copy of Sammy Lightfoot out for play on an Apple II. We wouldn't get the source, and I never got to actually talk to him. I, therefore took occasional liberties with the style of the graphics. The most frustrating part of this would be you would get an updated copy of the game and realize he had changed a bunch of stuff that I had already coded and had working. There was no assembly compiler for the Commodore 64 back then, so we used an unusual setup which was a precursor to the modern Windows approach to programming. We would write the source in a program called Lisa on the Apple, compile it there, and then download it to the Commodore via printer ports. This was possible because both machines used the 6502 chip. The advantage of this is if you use two monitors, you could run the game and edit the code at the same time. Pretty advanced for the time. One thing you have to understand is that when I wrote this game, I was only allowed 16K for all the code, graphics, and sound. The reason for this is it had to fit on a cartridge, Everything had to be written and rewritten to be smaller. Instead of storing graphics for a ledge, I would store a small piece and then store how many times to replicate it. If I had known it would be available on disk, I would have written a better version specifically for it. By the way, to give you an idea of how hard this was, it took about 800 hours of my spare time to write it. I hope someone has gotten some enjoyment out of it. Well, there's a lot to unpack in that little review. Um... Well, I find it amazing that as the programmer of the port, you know, the official release for the Commodore 64, that he never saw the source code from the Apple II version. So it's literally like looking at a game and just trying to recreate that same game. Uh, it seems like you would get a little bit more uh, support or at least get the guy's phone number. You know, call him and be like, hey, Warren, how'd you do this thing with the rope? <laughs> 
you know? Uh, it kind of seems like they just left this guy out here on his own to port it. I thought the uh, cross-compiling and sending it, you know, across the uh, parallel port, that, that was really interesting to me. Uh, and then again, the part where he said 80 or 800 hours of his spare time, and I know that's probably just a... Uh, uh, you know, an average or something. And when he says spare time, it makes me think he may have had, um, you know, a day job or something. But uh, so, I mean, if he worked on this 40 hours a week, I mean, that's 160 hours a month. I mean, so that's 300, 600, you know, almost three months worth of work. And that would be 40 hours a week working on this. You know, if um, I, I mean, obviously if he, if he spent less time, it would have taken longer. Uh, so I just think that's amazing. But the 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 techniques that he talks about, uh, you know, doing, you know, not having assembler at that time and being able to compile it on the Apple and copying it across and all that and, you know, using a monitor and all that. That's why I'm so amazed that I can't find other games that this guy, this guy must have done other stuff at the time because, uh, uh, I mean, it just doesn't make sense that he would have been, had th that many advanced techniques and only worked on one title. I can tell you that Lockheed Martin did a good job of uh, of picking him up because uh, he sounds like he's a, a pretty smart dude. So uh, anyway, back to Sammy Lightfoot. Uh, there weren't I couldn't find a lot of reviews of this at the time, and reviews were so so. You know, Electronic Fun with Computers and Games gave it an eighty eight. Uh, there was a Micro Seven gave it a sixty seven. Lemon sixty four has a uh, a rating right now of six point eight. Which I think is pretty fair. I mean, on a scale of one to ten, you know, a six ish is, is probably right. Uh, it's hard to give this a a modern rating because it is such an early platform game. So it's very simple, you know, compared to even uh, other platform games like by the mid '80s had a lot more parts to them than this did. And again, uh, you know, he was. Uh, porting it, you know, visually exactly what he was seeing on the Apple II. So it is a very faithful recreation of the Apple uh, version, but it doesn't really take advantage of uh, Commodore 64. I don't know if this is because of he was trying to uh, recreate the Apple sound or if it was the space limitation of having to squeeze it onto uh, into 16K, which, by the way, the fact that anybody wrote these games in 16K is is just amazing. But, um, you know, all of the, the little music ditties that play are all single note things. They're not, you know, normal, the type of great sound we associate with the Commodore 64. There's not a lot of multicolor sprites and things going on. So, uh, again, you know, as far as being faithful, yes. But as far as really showing off what the Commodore 64 could do. Unfortunately, it doesn't really do that. Uh, according to, I got to figure out which source here because this is kind of uh, con not controversial, but uh, uh, according to Moby Games, this game, Sammy Lightfoot, was released for the Apple II and then it was ported to the ColecoVision, the Commodore 64, the FM7, and the PC-88. Now, Wikipedia says that this game was also released on the IBM PC, but I can't find any evidence of that happening. I also found a magazine article. If you look for artwork on Sammy Lightfoot, you will find the same three things that I found everywhere. There's the front of the box, the back of the box, 
and then this magazine uh, advertisement. On the advertisement, at the bottom, it says uh, Apple Commodore. Actually, it says COM64, which I hate when they would do it. You know, I, I don't know why they just didn't say C64, but it says COM64. Um, again, Coleco. But it says IBM, and it also says Atari. Again, I can't find any evidence that this game was ever released uh, on the Atari. And if you go, I mean, one one way that I, I test this is uh, I go to YouTube and I type in Sammy Lightfoot Commodore. And there is, you know, people who have played this game. And you go in and type Sammy Lightfoot Apple and Sammy Lightfoot ColecoVision. And there are uh, videos of all those. If you type Sammy Lightfoot Atari there's no videos. If you type in Sammy Lightfoot IBM, there are no videos. Um, and I, I, you know, spent some time on Google. So, uh, you know, maybe I don't know if they were planned, you know, I mean, it's odd that it's in the advertisement. So I don't know if it was planned and then, you know, never released. Uh, I, I don't know what happened, but uh, I can't find any evidence that it was ever on IBM, uh, or Atari. I mean, basically it was, a. Uh, you know, Commodore and Apple II and ColecoVision were the uh, uh, were the big ones. Um, if you would like to own a copy of Sammy Lightfoot, uh, copies show up fairly regularly on eBay. And I found a, like, I guess I would call this a bargain package. It is a small uh, plastic. It's not much bigger than a five and a quarter inch floppy disk. And it had Oilswell and Sammy Lightfoot in there. And it was... Uh, uh, I believe it was still sealed new, and it was $25, so that's not bad. I found a disc-only auction that had Threshold and Sammy Lightfoot for $15, and I found two cartridges uh, at an auction that had Music Machine and Sammy Lightfoot both on cartridge for $22.75, so that's not bad because I believe the cartridge version is uh, much more rare than the floppy disk version. If you would like the Sammy Lightfoot cartridge in a box that is sealed. One sold not too long ago for $175 plus $40 shipping. That is a price that would make my hair spin around. <laughs> if I had a big pompadour, it would make my hair spin around. I saw a second uh, complete cartridge in the box, so I don't know if somebody found a stash of these somewhere. It sold for a little bit less. I believe it sold for around $130. So um, if you're looking for a, uh, a new inbox, be ready to pay. I think there are still some uh, uh, people that are my age that remember playing uh, Sammy Lightfoot that are willing to pay for this. So anyway, let's get into my personal memories of Sammy Lightfoot. All right, time travelers. Seat belt fastened. Yes. Get away to the past. <laughs> Well, as I have mentioned on the show before, before I had a Commodore 64, I had an Apple II. We had an Apple II, uh, a Franklin East 1000, which is an Apple II compatible computer. And we owned that from 1982 to 1985. Now, we also had a, a PC around that same time, PC Junior. Um, but uh, I remember playing Sammy Lightfoot on the Apple II. Of course, we had this... Uh, uh, we had a joystick, you know, and, and, um, so I definitely played that. That would have been the first place that I played Sammy Lightfoot. And, um, you know, I don't think that it 
compared to arcade games, but it was an arcade style game. But it definitely compared to things like the Atari 2600. I mean, if you compare this to Atari 2600's Donkey Kong, this is better, uh, even on the Apple II, you know. Uh, so I did have this on the Commodore 64. If you watch this week's Sprite Castle Plays, you'll see that it was disc number eight in my collection. So it was a very early acquisition for me. But the problem was I got my Commodore 64 in 1985, and this is a 1983 game. So things were advancing all the time. If you look at games that were released in 1985, well, I mean, I don't know why this is jumping out at me, but even like um, Impossible Mission, I think is 83. Uh, maybe it's 84, but um, uh, Ghostbusters, 84, you know, things like that. So, I mean, games that are one year uh, after this look much better and sound much better. So I did play this game on the Commodore 64, but again, I got my Commodore 64 in 1985. So this would have been, it would have seemed like an old and outdated game when I got my Commodore 64. So uh, again, I did play it, you know, and it was better than the Apple II version, but I don't know that I played it that much. Um, it is a game that you, uh, you know, even as a kid, like a platform type game that uh, you could beat all th on the easy level, the first level, you could beat all three scenes and beat the whole game and wrap it around, you know. So you feel like even though there is more game there, you feel like you've, you've accomplished something, like you have beat uh, the game. You haven't beat the whole game, but you've beat... You know, you, you've wrapped it around. Uh, so um, it, it's a type of game that I would sit down and play for five or ten minutes and then move on uh, to something else. Not directly Sammy Lightfoot, but I did want to throw this in there that I have a lot of personal memories of going to the circus. Now, I am in my mid-40s, and uh, when I was a kid, going to the circus was a big deal. I remember going to the um uh, of course, Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, when it would come around, uh, we went multiple times when I was a kid. Uh, I, in fact, one time I got uh, picked as a kid uh, out of the audience to go in and ride around on this stagecoach and ride and be in the circus, you know. And of course, you always got your... Um, uh, you're, they would have this giant oversized book that you would get. I mean, it's a, like a magazine, but a big giant oversized magazine that would be full of color pictures. Uh, that was like your big souvenir of the zoo or the, uh, uh, circus, you know, and, um, you know, you got to see the animals and that was a part of it. But the bigger stuff for me was, you know, the guy in the tightrope and the, the trapeze people and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I remember when, um, you know, my kids were, were being born and when they were really young, I we took them to the circus. So we went to the circus a few times. But as an adult, boy, you really see it through a different um, lens. You know what I mean? Um, I didn't, and of course, as a kid, it was, it was such a fun experience. Uh, but you don't see the animals and you don't understand you know, the, the type of uh, training that goes into getting them to perform certain things. And, and I don't know, I mean, like getting a horse to run in a circle, maybe that's not terrible, you know, but, um, uh, you know, just, just, uh, all the things that we know today. And it makes me very sad and it, it makes me not just sad about the animals, but it makes me sad that, um, you know, as a kid, 
I got to experience that through an innocent pair of eyes, you know, and I don't know how my parents viewed it, but when I took my kids, I was able to see, you know, some of those, uh, things and have those thoughts. So, you know, I, I know that, um, uh, you know, the circus, the circus that I knew as a kid is gone, right? Like they don't have that anymore. They don't have Ringling Brothers went out of business. They don't have a circus that comes here every year and has, um, you know, the animals and the performers and stuff like that. So my kids are, are older now. Um, but, um, yeah, that's something that their kids will not, will not experience, you know? So it, um, I don't know. I mean, it, the whole thing just makes me sad. Like I said, the, um, uh, it makes me sad because I enjoyed it. It makes me sad because, you know, now that I know more about it and, um, I mean, I, I wish that, uh, I mean, my kids went when they were young. I don't know. It, it's a complicated issue, but, uh, uh, but they're gone. So now, uh, if you have kids, no circus, just got to make a play. Sammy Lightfoot. For graphics, I'm going to give Sammy Lightfoot two out of five killer pumpkins. Uh, they're not very advanced. They're pretty simplistic. Uh, even for the time, there were better looking Commodore games. Uh, music, I'm also going to give it two out of five killer pumpkins. Uh, the little music scores are one note at a time. They really don't show off the brilliance that the Commodore 64 can perform. Sound effects, I will also give it two out of five. There are some very simple sound effects from bouncing on the trampoline and and uh, things like that. But uh, and, and also there's a little sound that plays whenever you get killed, but uh, they're not very advanced sound effects. Overall gameplay, I'm going to give it three out of five. That's not a bad rating. I would say you should check out, uh, if you like platform-style games, you should probably check out Sammy Lightfoot. It is fun. There are multiple levels, and you will probably have fun as you get through those. It's not the type of game that will hold your attention for a month, but, you know, for an hour or so, it probably will. So uh, it's definitely worth checking out for that. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you'd like to send me feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodork, follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast, catch me hanging out at the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, or leave me a voicemail on the Flat Podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. To support the show and gain access to behind-the-scenes blog posts and bonus features, Join my bit crew. You can find out more information at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, the Sprite Castle RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com, and through the Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. Don't forget to check out Sprite Castle Plays videos at youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows at podcast.robohara.com. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to avoiding killer pumpkins 
and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. <laughs>